Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Very good to be back. Thank you all for praying for our team that was in Africa for the last how many days that was, but we are, we are back and safe, and um, we have lots of stories, and we want to share those stories with you, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to wait, and on the second Sunday in January, the new year, we're going to have a time of sharing and just to let you hear what God, um, how God spoke to us and, and what He allowed us to be a part of, and we'll have a video, and so just we're going to put, put pause on that for now, but we, will, we, would, we can't wait to share with you what we got to do and just what a really amazing adventure and trip that that was uh, to go see Will and Gloria, um, a family that we've supported for almost 17 years and to be a part of their ministry there. Uh, But for the next four weeks, we're going to be in our Advent season and we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. So I want to take a survey and I kind of feel like I know what what the uh, answers are going to be here, but how many of you have ever read or heard the Christmas story from Luke 2? Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay, that's okay. Then we don't need to do this, I guess. I mean, well, all right, guys, let's share what, what happened in Africa. No, um, we're going to wait. Okay, how many, okay, here's another, another question. How many of you in your family read this story, Luke chapter 2, before you open presents? Okay, all right, okay, we got to be honest here. Nothing wrong with that. Um, okay. How many of you, at one point, maybe you don't still have this in your, in your head, but at one point you memorized the entire Luke 2? Raise your hand. Okay, you are the most spiritual here. Good job. Okay, you are the ones. Very good. Okay, so I, I asked those questions because, because of this. I know you know this story. I mean, we just saw all the hands. If you are a Christian or you grew up in a Christian family, you should know this story. And I know that most of you, um, being a part of Christian families and being part of a Christian culture, being in the Bible Belt, I know that you probably hear this story, you read it every year. Um, I know that, that many of you tie in, and it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing that you, many of us children, we kind of equate reading the story followed by presence, right? I mean, it's just it's what our culture has kind of created, and that's nothing, I mean, I think it's important that we, we try to focus on what's important as we gather together. Jonna and I, we were 20 years old when we, we got married, December 17th, we got married in 1993, and so we were young, um, and we were, we, when, when you're young, you still have all these Christmases that you're going to, okay? So when you're first married and you're young, and so for several years, we attended seven different Christmases per year. Seven, okay? And at all of those, or most of those, we read that story right before we opened presents. And that, that was the thing. We hear it every year. We read through it. We hear, we hear the words. And, and I think so many of us, sometimes we can kind of become numb to the story, right? We know the story. Like, we know it we kind of become numb sometimes to the power and the miracle of what took place in Bethlehem those several thousand years ago. And so our, so our goal as the body of Christ, our goal over the next four Sundays during this season is not to give you some new insight to the story you know so well, 
I'm not going to try to define every single Greek word. I'm not going to try to give you the exact dimensions of the manger and try to tie that in. We're not going to try to do something that goes super deep. My, my goal, our goal, is really this, that we could slow down long enough to truly think, to truly meditate, to truly worship the birth of Christ, its meaning and impact on mankind and the world and on our lives. So I hope you will put your phones away, unless it's your Bible. I get that. Don't look at your shopping list. Don't look at all the stuff you've got to do this week. Okay? Just, just slow down. Let's just think. Let's worship. Let's ponder. Let's hear the story that we know so well and just praise Jesus for him coming and praise Jesus for the miracle of the birth of Christ. I think we have so many extra traditions, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I love traditions at this time that surround the season, but sometimes these traditions can kind of obscure the very simple meaning of the story of Christmas. So I hope that you will listen to the words over these next four weeks as we kind of break this apart. Hear these words we've heard so many times and that we will worship Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the birth of Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for for coming in this most humble of ways, showing how you come to people, showing your grace, showing this incredible gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We want to worship you during the season with our church, with our church family, with our, with our families. We want to remember what this season is about, and that's to praise you, Jesus, for coming. And then as you journey to the cross, thank you for salvation. God, just help us to be able to slow down. And it's, Lord, we, we know that there's lots of things to do, and there's lots of things with people, and that's good. But, Lord, help us to not miss what this season is about. And it's about you, Jesus. So we want to worship you. We want to give you glory. We want to give you praise, give you honor. We love you. As we open your word, as we look at the beginning of this story, God, I pray that we would be able to slow down and just sit and think and thank you for coming. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look at the very first, the first seven verses of this story of the birth of Christ. Um, the title that I've given this first message in this series is The Great Contrast, okay? The Great Contrast. The word contrast is defined as being the state of being strikingly different from something else, okay? So we, we look at our world, we look at how Jesus came, and we see this great contrast. Strikingly different from something else. I experienced that um, this last week in Africa, okay? So um, it, was, it, was, it was 100 plus degrees most of the days. I think it hit 104, maybe 106, one of those days that we were, that we were working, um, which was very, very strikingly different than probably what you were experiencing here. It was, it was quite amusing. Um, we actually did have some Wi-Fi. We were, we were seven hours, eight hours outside of Dakar, um, but, but Will had some solar panels and he had some Wi-Fi, so we were able to kind of communicate with our loved ones. Um, I thought it was amusing because my friend Josh Franzoni, um, he was in Colorado, okay? So we were sending each other strikingly different 
pictures as the week went on, and he would do like a panorama shot like this. It'd be snow and mountains. Then I would send dirt and grass, and he would send, you know, a ski slope and snow, and I would send, you know, the the weird toilets and the, you know, I mean, it was just the great contrast. We, we kind of got a kick out of it. Um, but that, what I was thinking about that, what a, those were strikingly different views that we were experiencing. And as we think about how Christ came, who his earthly parents were, where he was born, we think about this word contrast. So let's look at the first seven, seven verses. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from, the Caesar, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So right from the beginning, we see this great contrast. We see the historical context of what was happening. And and we kind of get this understanding of how different this was and how Jesus came, the Son of God, stepping out of glory and what he came to. We gain an understanding of the, the historical context by reading the first couple of verses of this story. We see a man named Caesar Augustus, okay? So again, the Son of God... And right from the beginning, we see the great contrast with this, with this leader, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had issued a decree that all the world should be registered. And so as we think about this word contrast, or the great contrast, we, we've got to understand who Caesar Augustus was, okay? Augustus was the ruler of the entire Roman world. The word Caesar means emperor, but he gave himself the word, the, the title Augustus, which means revered, honored, esteemed. Now, we don't have time to go into all of Roman history. It was very, very dramatic. But what we do know is that Octavian Augustus was the one ruler of the Roman world. He was the first, he was the very first Caesar to be called Augustus. That word had not been used with any other leader. It had only been used for the gods, little g, until Octavian. So, so right from the beginning, what do we see? The great contrast, right? We see this man who had lifted himself up, given him a title of a god. It is interesting, at the time of Christ's birth, Caesar's birthday was being celebrated in some of the cities as the first day of the new year. Even some were celebrating him as their savior and their god. You see the contrast? Jesus comes. He steps out of glory. He is God. He comes to be born, and there's a man here that's lifting himself up. It's like, I am your Savior. Worship me. The world's ruler at the time of Christ's birth was a man who proclaimed himself a God and Savior. We see this great contrast. 
this self-proclaimed God and Savior contrasting with the coming of the true Savior, the real Savior. Another contrast that was happening in the world was this peace that was in the world. There was a type of peace, but it had come with the price of many lives. The world had been forced into this submission through violence and bloodshed. The world was under a dark and oppressive peace. Contrast that with Christ, the true Savior, who would bring true peace. Christ is, Christ was, Christ is the Prince of Peace. I hope, I hope through this season that you will be reminded that that is where our peace is found. Our peace is not found in all the stuff. Our peace is not found in everything going right. That all our traditions, we check them off and everything feels good and like we did that one. That one felt like when I was a kid. We have all this stuff that we, we bank on during this season, don't we? That it just has to go perfectly. That's not where our peace is found. I hope that you will be reminded that Jesus is your peace. That this is a broken world. Things fail. Lights go out. Things don't happen. Shipments don't come in. Parties has, have a bad dish that didn't taste great. You know, all this stuff. We live in a broken world. Christ is your peace. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and your peace? This oppressive rules, ruler's power and rule stretched all the way to even the tiny villages. And this is where we find a young carpenter and his teenage bride who is expecting a child. And this young couple is forced to travel back to Joseph's hometown in order to be registered for taxes. Look at verses three and four. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, Luke's approach when he writes this story, is very simple. Sometimes it's so simple that we don't think about all the details that, that happen. You know, okay, they, they went there, right? Here's where they're going. But what we need to stop and think about as we think about how Jesus came, how the, what this great contrast looks like, is that here's the thing. Mary was ready to have a baby, and they had to travel 70 to 80 miles to go back and register, okay? Now, now, those of you who have, have had babies, you know, hopefully you didn't have to travel that long. You, you weren't thinking about that. 70 to 80 miles. Hopefully you didn't have to travel on a donkey to get there, okay? Now, some of us in Africa, we did travel with some donkeys, yes, and some donkey carts, and we were kept awake by donkeys, and so we have this better understanding of maybe what Mary felt, but 70 to 80 miles on a donkey in the winter, full term, Mary was carrying the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, on a donkey. You think that's a great contrast? You think that's, that's, that's I mean, a, a picture of how Jesus came to us? When we have a baby in America, we plan our routes, right? We have our bags packed. We jump into our heated or air-conditioned cars. We rush off to the hospital where we're taken care of by nurses or doctors or midwives. And, and just, just imagine coming home and telling your pregnant wife in our culture that we need to take a trip back home. I know you're about ready to have a baby, 
but we're going to do it in the winter, and we're going to do it up an incline, and we're going to do it on a, on a donkey, okay? I would love to hear those conversations. But then you, then you factor in the, the idea that you're going to have a baby far away from home without your parents or without anyone around that you know. This is how our Savior came to this world. This is how much He loved us. This is the picture He showed that He came to those who were humble. He came in the most humble way. Jesus was born to insignificant, poor people. Now, although Mary and Joseph knew who they were, they believed in God. But just just stop for a minute. Just slow down for a second and worship Christ this morning. Thank Jesus for coming because this is how Christ comes to people. This is grace. Christ does not come to the proud. You're going to see that through this whole story. As we look at the shepherds, as we look at, the, I mean, he does not come to the proud. Christ comes to the poor and the humble, the poor in spirit. In fact, when Jesus was grown and he gave his first sermon, you know what the first words out of his mouth were on the Sermon on the Mount? We, we, we've gone through this as a church. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is how Jesus comes. He does not come to the proud. For us to know Christ, for us to understand our need for a Savior, we've got to come to the end of ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We've got to come to a poverty of spirit. And this is how Christ came in such humble settings. In fact, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament spoke of this hundreds of years earlier. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. We see in the, these very first few verses of this story God's hand of providence controlling history, and this is the mighty God we get to call Father. Thank Him this morning. Thank Him throughout this entire season for sending His Son Jesus to be our Savior. This was the great contrast, but it, but it continues. We see it in the actual birth of Christ, the birth of Christ, verses 6 and 7. Let's, let's read that. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So they, they arrive in Bethlehem. There's, there's no place to, to kind of settle in. They, the, the birth pains begin. Mary was far from home without her mom or family. She might have been as young as 13 or 14, and it was time for her to have a baby. Now again, Luke, just kind of simple. It's like, all right, she was there. She gave birth. Like, okay, there's, there's so much more, obviously, that's going on behind those verses. Let's think about that just a little more as we think about how Jesus came. Now, we know that they did not have great accommodations, but they were also probably not what we picture in our classic nativities. How many have a nativity in your house? Okay, let's, let's do this, another survey. How many of you have more than five nativities in your house? Be, okay, come on, be proud. I mean, it's like, oh, I don't know. How many have more than ten? Okay, so, okay, not that many. All right, so... 
we have them. We look at them, and it's, it's great. We, we set them out, and we, we think about Jesus coming, but sometimes we just, you know, we, we don't really go beyond that, and we see a nice little stable, and we see them all alone. But here's, here's the thing. The ends of that time in that part of the world were very, they were primitive, and they were awful. They were designed for, like, traveling caravans of people, so they, they would have, what they would have in those, that time period was they would have a series of stalls around an area, and it was connected by this open area where, where all the animals would kind of hang out, and they would have your own, you would have your own stall. It wasn't like this private stall over here with this, you know, this perfect little stable and your hay there and, and all by yourself. They were, they were this series of stalls, and then in the middle was all, where all their animals would kind of hang out, and they would, they would eat. And so here's the deal. Mary and Joseph couldn't get into one of those little stalls. So most likely, they were probably in the courtyard with all the animals, and this is where Mary would give birth to the king of kings. You just, you just think about that. You contrast that with our luxury hospital rooms, with our crushed ice. Our nice rooms, drugs. I mean, you think about what we have, and you think about how Jesus came. In the middle of a courtyard, not even able to get a private stall, out in the middle, laying close to animals, laying close to manure, laying close to the itchy straw, the smells. I'm sure there were many tears. It was dirty. And here, a small village carpenter helped his wife give birth to the Son of God. This is, not, this is nothing what our beautiful wooden glass porcelain nativities reveal to us. This was true humility. And this is how Jesus came. Christ left glory and splendor to be born into this world in the most humble of all settings. But again, this is how God comes. He comes to those who are humble to those who have come to the end of themselves and know they need Jesus, to the poor in spirit. But again, this was God's hand guiding history. God was in control, and Jesus came as a baby, and Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger. Now, I like to think about what everybody else was hearing and thinking in their stalls. The other travelers probably listening to the screams and doing nothing to help listening to the crying, probably going, oh my goodness, this, this poor baby, not going to be on any, any, anybody's yearbook list, most likely to succeed, best dressed, coolest car. They're, not, they're like, I'm so sorry for this family. I'm sure the other travelers were, were just going, how awful for them. Kent Hughes states this, he says, we must never forget that this is where Christianity began and where it always begins, with a sense of need a graced sense of one's insufficiency. Christ himself setting the example comes to the needy. He is born only in those who are poor in spirit. And this is also the wonder and the miracle of the birth of Christ. This is why we worship him. This is the great contrast. Compare this with what our culture worships on Christmas. Compare, I mean, you see, look at what we worship on Christmas compared to, to Jesus and how he came. Let us not forget what this season is about. 
and, 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 it's, and it's okay. And I know, I know we as Christians in America, we, we struggle with this, right? We, we swing the pendulum, don't we? We're like, oh, we hate Christmas. We must not put a Christmas tree up because we don't want to forget. And then we swing back over here. It's like, oh, we're just going to go all in. It's like, just, just remember, find the tension. Don't forget. Enjoy your traditions. Enjoy getting together with your family. That's important. Enjoy giving something to each other. There's nothing wrong with giving a gift to someone, but let us not worship the culture of of Christmas. Let us look through that stuff and go, okay, here's what's important. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Let us not forget how Jesus came and why Jesus came. Use this season to, to teach your children about Jesus and how he came to save sinners. How he came to, to, to begin here and then journey to the cross, continuing in that humility. He came to be the Savior of the world. He came so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To bring the dead to life. Let us not forget why we celebrate this, this season. Let us look through the lights and the tinsel and the presence and let us see the great contrast. Christ came in the most humble of ways. Christ is the true gift, right? Christ is the true gift. Jesus is the reason for this season. That's what, that's what it's about. Let us worship him this season. Go home this week and begin worshiping and talking about with your family, celebrating Jesus, celebrate your traditions, celebrate getting together. But let us lead our children, let us lead our families to worship Him this season. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this true story that, that you have given us. And, that, and I know that we've, we've read it so many times. And we read it over and over, and we, we sometimes read it to kind of check it off a list, Lord, just so we know that we've done it. I pray that that would be different this year. I pray that when we do read it, that we would, we would, we would stop and, and meditate. I pray that when we think about the words, when we think about how just the journey from um, how, how Mary sat on that donkey and made it to, to Bethlehem and then the, how Jesus came, let us, let us remember the, the humble ways in which Christ came, showing us a picture of what it means to come to Him in a poverty of spirit. I pray that we would take on that, that poverty of spirit this season, not in, in a way that, that we can tell others about Christ, in a way that we can be reminded of, wh- of what this season is about, in a, in a way that, that we would have opportunities to tell someone else who the true gift is and where true peace is found. And I know there's, Lord, there's, there's a lot of depression and anxiety and, and sadness even in this season because it's just covered over with all the, the lights and tinsel and gifts and all. And so, but deep down in so many people, there's a brokenness, and that is because they need Jesus. And I pray that, that, that your light would shine forth, that you would, that you would use us have opportunities to tell people where true joy is found, true peace, true hope. And so, God, we thank you for your word. And so we want to continue to worship you, 
And as we continue this morning to worship, let us sing praises to you because of you coming as a child. That you would not stay a child, you would grow and you would journey to the cross where you would die for our sins, but you would rise again, defeating death. And now, Lord, you sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And in you, we find true, we find salvation. We love you. We give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray.